Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and slash hypergig with details. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We are joined, as always, with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. I've always thought uh, from a, a very young age that the world is ending for someone, somewhere, every day. And it's a thought that becomes uh, increasingly, as we say, top of mind in these, the days of our modern era. And it has a lot to do with what we're investigating today. Today, we are attempting to solve a mystery, perhaps with your help, fellow conspiracy realists. It is an old one. It is the very definition of a cold case. You see, about 3,200 years ago, ballpark, the world of human civilization, as we know it, collapsed. It imploded. And even now, in 2020, the full causes of this collapse remain unsolved. We have to wonder what would civilization be like today if the civilization of the past hadn't been crippled all those millennia ago? And and what does this collapse mean for our present day? Maybe the best place for us to start is what exactly is the Bronze Age? So here are the facts. 
Yeah, the Bronze Age refers to a period that's generally described as the third phase of development of material culture among ancient civilizations in Europe, uh, Asia, and the Middle East. So you you have the Stone Age, which preceded the Bronze Age, the Paleolithic and Neolithic periods, collectively known as the Stone Age, and then the New Stone Age. Um, And it was a massive transformation because before the Bronze Age, civilization was essentially a bunch of tiny city-states that were ruled by a heavy-handed, oppressive, politico-religious priest um, or castes of priests, kind of like a ruling class. And this really shifted uh, when the Bronze Age came into being. Yeah, yeah. Food was at a premium in a lot of these pre-Bronze Age societies, and it limited the growth. Of, of both uh, technology and population, it, it made us play on hard mode in the game of civilization. Don't sue us, Sid Meier. We're, we're big fans. <laughs> we really are. If, if you've ever played a lot of those games, for me, it was Age of Empires that really got me to understand the difference between some of those early ages of civilization um, and now, you know, we sit in, I, is this the Silicon age? What do we, what do we call this age? I don't know. Has it been coined yet? I, I guess, uh, I, I haven't really seen it. Maybe it's up for debate. Maybe there's like someone we can submit ideas to, uh, uh like, like millennials and zennials and all that stuff. I, I haven't really seen it, uh, thrown around. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, there, there are a, uh, plethora of meaning too many, uh, there are a plethora of proposed names, for this age, uh, the yeah. Anthropocene would be one we could throw around. But uh, in the world of material culture, uh, through that lens, perhaps there is one. Perhaps silicon is a good one. Uh, perhaps the information age is another yeah. thing because information is a substance of its own. Perhaps the new dark ages. No, I'm kidding. Technology and all that ages, stuff perhaps. is obviously great. Uh, but that's the thing too, Ben, to, to, to your point. I mean, technology and development of new ideas, that's a huge impetus for cultures developing and pushing forward um, because material is essentially a technology. When you start thinking outside the box or outside the rocks, I just – pulled that off the top of my head, uh, you, you get these new ideas that are very important to actually make new things that help you hunt and that help you um, keep order in your civilization without depending on superstition as much, right? Yeah, so there's, there's, a, there's already um, what could be called a, kind of a catch-22 for civilizations. So to, for a civilization to grow, to innovate, and to expand, it needs to have some sort of leisure time uh, with necessity compelling the focus use of that free time. But to, uh, to arrive at that free time, we have to have the tools that allow that to exist. And by tools, I also mean sociopolitical things. So what we see with the Bronze Age is we see something... If I'm always using cliches like Catch-22, it'd be good to use a cliche like chicken and the egg. Did fortuitous weather lead to more leisure time, which then led to uh, farming innovations, which led to an agricultural revolution, creating a surplus of food that led to the existence of specialized uh, specialized jobs and careers, which led to innovations in technology, innovations in religion and government and so on, or did someone just figure out a better way to farm themselves? It's tricky to extract these things. But we know 
regardless of the order in which those things occurred, we know those occurred and created what we define as the Bronze Age. It was a brand new world, a golden dawn for humanity in uh, what's called, you know, sometimes the Near East, the Mediterranean, North Africa, Egypt, and so on. And this was primarily due, uh, the stability of these uh, empires, which came to be, was primarily due to uh, the surplus of food at the beginning. It allowed for the creation of big, bustling, multicultural cities instead of walled-off, isolated city-states. And then it allowed these states to institute treaties, to institute rule of law that went beyond the stone walls of a citadel. So for the first time in human history, as far as we know, as far as we know, uh, for the first time in human history, we had international trade occurring on a regular, sustainable basis. It was no longer quite as much of a pipe dream to say, hey, let me get some hippopotamus ivory from this uh, place people are calling Egypt or whatever, I, and and just kind of pray it shows up in six months. No, they, they were able to do this. Things were flourishing. This is also, you know, it's called the Bronze Age uh, because it's the first period in which metal was used in very widespread ways. Like, as you said, Noel, before then, we were really, really good with stone. And a lot, a lot of uh, Stone Age stuff we built, well, not a ton, but comparatively, a lot of Stone Age stuff we built it was pretty durable. You can see some of it today if you travel out to uh, a museum or if you travel to uh, where some of these monuments might still stand. But the Bronze Age itself, I don't know, it's, it, it's, t- it's tough to say when it began for which people. Like in China and Greece, for instance, if we define it just by that use of metal— we're talking 3000 BCE. And that's that's so long ago. That's more than 5000 years ago. <laughs> but if we're talking about a place like uh, what we call Britain today, it didn't start till 1900 BCE. The technology is disruptive, but it's not ubiquitous automatically. It has to spread. So anyway, with all that, all those caveats and asterisks, Bronze Age 3300 BC, let's say, 3000, 3300 BCE to 1200 BCE. 1200 BCE is pretty much regarded as the cutoff. And we'll see why. There's there's a reason we have like a more definitive grasp of that. For sure. And, you know, we're talking about international trade and how important that was for the Bronze Age. Uh, It it seems very elementary right now. So very normal just to have uh, countries and cities across the world gathering the things that are near that city or close enough to that city or place of civilization and then sending some of that stuff elsewhere so that we can so that they can then receive something from somewhere else right but as ben was saying this was such a new thing one of the um one of the big occurrences here is that there was one particular place where you could find this stuff that was called tin. And we're going to tell you a little bit more about that in the future there. But there's one particular place that, where you could get it, at least a good supply of it, that then had to be loaded onto donkeys and then sent wherever it was going to go to be traded with some other place, right? And tin is important because it creates bronze, right? It, it, 
it's really interesting. You combine tin and copper, I believe. Is that is that correct, guys? Tin and yeah. copper become bronze. Mm-hmm. These are the two metals that you need to create this durable thing that becomes the cornerstone of civilization and everything from uh, stuff to eat out of to tools to fix other things to uh, the weapons. And that's the really the big thing here. The weapons were made of this substance. I have, there's one theory about this that is um, woefully unproven. We'll probably never prove it, but it's a cool story if we want to put ourselves back in that time period. How did people figure out bronze? It's a big question. Like, uh, did, how, how on earth did someone say, ah, tin, you like it, you love it, you want some more of it, and you mix it with copper? It's amazing. Guys, let's start a war. It's, it's kind of like the story about the discovery of cheese. The discovery of cheese story is that someone was hauling milk in a saddlebag and the continual churning and chafing of that made cheese during their journey. No way to prove it. Yeah, it's the same story with a lot of firsts, right? Like the first person to eat an oyster or a mushroom. It seems like a really outlandish proposition when you think of what is actually going into this act. And it obviously required a lot of trial and error, maybe cavemen eating poisonous mushrooms and dying off and then people noticing, oh, maybe don't eat that mushroom. Eat the one that's delicious and tasty or maybe makes you hallucinate because that's fun too. Um, But with this thing, it's such a process in and of itself, the idea of smelting. Like when you melt this stuff down and to either maybe something spilled in and they realized it made it a cool color or like it made it stronger. I'm wondering what point along the maybe it was a whoopsie kind of moment did they realize, oh, this is actually a really solid idea. Or maybe someone saw the person doing it and, and then did it themselves and did it better. I, again, it's interesting to think about. Yeah, so that's what that's what I was getting to. Is the is that there is a myth like that with uh, or a theory we can call it if we want to put a tie on it about the discovery of bronze and the idea is that this like I was originally saying let's picture ourselves we're at a campfire right we have copper and we're hanging out we're playing with our copper or something and we don't know that the rocks lining our campfire are naturally rich in tin so how amazing is it. To see the uh, to see the rocks and the and the copper upon them start to melt and mold together while you're just sitting by the fire, you know something's up. You know something's happening. That is like the cinematic origin story of bronze. And with with this, I mean, it's probably again, even if that's true, we can't prove it. But we know people were always experimenting with stuff as soon as they had that very valuable free time again, right? So what we did see is even if there wasn't this aha revelatory moment of watching this reaction occur accidentally, uh, we knew pe- we know people immediately started experimenting with it. We have to remember that before this point, the most common tool in the world and as far as we know in the universe, was the stone axe, which is better than your hand, I guess, would be the tagline for it. But now that they're able to cast bronze, they're seeing that it's, it's, uh, it has numerous qualities that make it superior to either copper or tin. And like you said, Matt, it becomes a game changer when people realize it can be used as a weapon far superior to stone. So they're still, they don't perfect bronze in a day, just like Rome wasn't built in a day. 
Uh, we know the use of copper was already well known throughout the area, and it was beginning to infiltrate the cultures of Europe, which were still running a little behind. They were still in what we would call uh, the Stone Axe days. During the second millennium BCE, the use of bronze and the casting, the smelting, the creation of it was uh, increasingly improved. We see the emergence of what is called true bronze. People are making bronze weapons. And we know this because we can do a little bit of forensic work, uh, even in places you might not expect, like Cornwall, England. Yeah, not only the place known for, you know, having Lego pieces wash up on the beach, uh, it in fact is also what you were indicating at the top of the show, Matt, um, it has massive deposits of tin. So it gave them this kind of stronghold in terms of, you know, civilization, in terms of material evolution, I guess, uh, to be kind of the source for that because it was so rich just in, in them hills. There, there was tin. Oh, for sure. And again, a lot of the tin carrying from the deposits there was by donkey for a long time. But you have to remember, right around this time, guess what's invented? The real game changer, the wheel, gets invented around this around this age. And I want to jump in here before anybody uh, reaches out reaches out to me or to us with a with a question about Incan civilizations and why there was, quote-unquote, not a wheel invented in those civilizations. The invention of the wheel is, uh, is a novelty for many ancient cultures unless they have domesticated livestock to pull it. Also, the geography of a lot of those uh, mountainous cultures in South America did not lend itself to a person hauling a wheelbarrow. So these people are not somehow cognitively superior. They were just able to make a tool that worked with the geography and uh, the biology of the creatures they had already conquered. Yeah, because they had oxen, and you could they figured out how to attach a plow to the back uh, <laughs> of a car with an oxen. So, I mean, you've got wheels, uh, a large animal that can pull a lot of weight, and there you go. Now you've got plenty of food because you can plant way more. Farming it, revolution. Take that, yeah. Norman Borlaug. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Wheat. Get out of here, wheat. Um, but this, so we, then we know around 1000 BCE, there's a new thing that surfaced, and we kind of talked about it a little bit, but that's the ability to forge a different metal, iron. That's, you know, when you get the Iron Age and when iron comes around, it's like, hey, hey, you know, bronze was cool and everything. We, we appreciate you. You did a lot for us, but uh, I'm here now. So bye. Um, it, it really was uh, the beginning of a, something completely different uh, with, when the, the forging of iron came around. However, there's more to this story. It's not as clean cut as a, a, a brand new form of metal coming out, like a brand new iPhone, right? Uh, you see, for some reason, instead of transitioning peacefully over a gradient, over a spectrum, over time to the Iron Age, multiple Bronze Age civilizations and cultures just imploded. And what, what are we talking about? We'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Attention, true crime enthusiasts. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. And we're back. The Bronze Age did not end with a whimper, as the old quotation goes. It ended with a bang. It, it popped sort of abruptly with the near simultaneous collapse of multiple Bronze Age civilizations, the biggest empires in the world. Modern-day Egypt is like a survivor of this enormous human catastrophe. Imagine now, for example, in the modern day, imagine if China, the US, Canada, India, and Russia all fell within less than a century, within 50 years of each other. They became dreams of bygone empires. That's a modern day version of exactly what happened during the Bronze Age. Yeah, so major Bronze Age civilizations like uh, Mycenaean Greece, um, uh, the Hittite Empire in Turkey and ancient Egypt, 
fell within a comparatively short period of time. Um, these ancient cities were abandoned. The trade routes that we talked about that were so important were abandoned as well, were lost, and literacy uh, even declined throughout that region. So um, more than just a little over 3,200 years ago, they all went from being huge power players in the world economy of the time, uh, world-class civilizations, to essentially what we would refer to today as failed states, uh, or more so even non-existent states. Um, and you can today find crushed skeletons and scattered remnants and debris from, you know, artifacts of the time that remain. But that's about all there is left of these once incredibly influential and powerful cities. Yeah, you, you can see, you know, where there was something once. And archaeologists, like like you said, have have, have found... Well, I, I don't want to spoil anything here, Ben, but archaeologists have found on a specific layer of soil, of ground, essentially, all in the same layer, where all of these various cities all went, it seemed to be with fire, some kind of great battle or, or great terrible thing that occurred in all of these cities within a very short time span. Um, it's very odd, very, very odd. Yeah, within as little as the span of a century, which is just like a finger snap. It's it's a it's a, 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 a the span of a century is like a, a micrometer in the timeline. Uh, but we know that other civilizations have disappeared in the past. Maybe not at this level, but very large populated places. Cahokia, we did an episode on that. Ancient cultures in Southeast Asia, like modern day Cambodia. Uh, South America as well. Some of those things remain at least partially unexplained. But in most of those cases, what we're seeing is a single community or a single culture or a single civilization being affected. We still have serious questions about what could have made so many massive, successful cultures self-destruct all at once, especially when we know that they had a vested interest in maintaining a status quo to a degree, supporting one another to enable the whole to rise. And we're struggling to figure out what happened. Here's where it gets crazy. Uh oh, oh, geez. <laughs> so over the centuries, people have been guessing. Multiple scholars have put forward multiple arguments of varying credibility to explain this disturbing historical mystery, you know? Well, yeah, the, fir the first one we, you know, I mentioned there kind of as um, a spoiler or a precursor to this, that there is a layer of ash in a lot of these citadels in what we would call cities um, back in the day that existed around the same time. And one of the theories that's been put forth is that some kind of natural disaster caused these, you know, various cities and civilizations to collapse simultaneously. And one of those would be like a massive volca volcanic eruption or perhaps an earthquake or series of those two things occurring. You know, ancient people didn't have any way to communicate at least through technology, that a disaster was coming from some far-flung part of the world, but it doesn't mean that the disasters couldn't impact them all simultaneously, right? And there are a few. There are some Egyptologists that have dated back the Hekla volcano. It's Hekla three volcanic eruption that was in Iceland. It occurred in 1159 BCE. They're saying that possibly it caused this 
these civilizations to collapse, but not because of the eruption itself, because the volcanic eruption may have caused a famine that affected this large swath of area. Yeah, we have some, uh, you know, we have evidence uh, from Egyptian sources. Uh, we know under Ramses III, during the wider overall uh, Bronze Age collapse, it's called the Late Bronze Age collapse, we, we know that the rulers of the time were addressing civil unrest and crime, and it was tied into famine, right? It was tied into migration, to uh, people becoming refugees. And I love what you said, man, just because they didn't see an eruption in Iceland doesn't mean it didn't screw up the connected weather systems uh, equaling less food. And remember, part of the reason people were so successful in the Bronze Age in this part of the world was entirely because of that surplus of food and the positive domino effect, the positive feedback loop that creates. Now we're seeing the opposite. It's evil twin. Uh, we know an eruption of that size could definitely uh, impact agriculture. But we, I mean, scholars still, of course, argue back and forth about the degree to which this affected it, right? There, you'll hear a lot of people say, well, uh, that one eruption couldn't spell the end of, you know, multiple empires. It, it just didn't have the size for that. And even if there is this butterfly ripple effect, it wouldn't have lasted long enough to destroy those empires by itself. But we have to keep in mind, volcanic eruptions can also be linked to earthquakes. And earthquakes can also do a massive amount of damage in a short amount of time. Um, they can also maybe be linked to tsunamis, so flooding. What we're saying is you can get a combo meal for natural disaster. It doesn't always have to be ordered a la carte. Yeah, two, two meats, two sides, one bread. <laughs> exactly. I mean, can't, can't some of those eruptions produce so much ash and nastiness that it literally blocks out the sun, like, mm. for a while? That's what we're talking about. You, you could essentially disrupt the, the weather systems in a large area, if not the entire planet or hemisphere. Well, and also, you know, the ability for crops to get, you know, the nutrients they need from, from sunlight and all of that. That's a really good point. Yeah, because imagine you're, you're a farmer and, you know, the uh, religions of this time, uh, the ones that are uh, authorized by the ruling class, when it comes to the lower class, they're entirely meant to keep you farming and feel like you're vaguely in trouble and struggling, right? It's cult rules, again. And, and so what do you do when the sky goes black? Someone has messed something up. You're not a volcanologist. Volcanologists don't exist. You're, you're, you're trying to grow food. And as politicians are so fond of saying today, feed your family. Uh, and then, just like you said, Noel, the sky goes black. No one knows why, perhaps. And then the rain disappears, right? Or and then the, the ground starts shaking. Yep. And the crops are fallow. Right, You just can't grow like you used to. There's a geophysicist named Amos Nur from Stanford, and he argues that a string of massive earthquakes could have knocked down one of these city-states after another. You can pull up, uh, I think there's a really cool Google Maps layer you can pull up that will show you the Bronze Age empires, and you can see how his argument uh, you can see how his argument proceeds that these cities fell one by one to earthquakes. They didn't have FEMA 
didn't have the communication or infrastructure resources available in the modern day. So this could have brought those empires to uh, a premature end. He also, and I thought this would be interesting um, to historical scholars of the Bible in the audience, he, he also argues that earthquake activity may be the real-life inspiration for the biblical prophecy of Armageddon. That's the site of the final conflict between good and evil. He, he says, you know, the repeated destruction of the city uh, Megiddo probably, at least, and this is Amos Nur's opinion, he says it inspired the author of Revelation to write his prediction of the apocalypse. Like this guy saw an earthquake, experienced it, lived through it, said this is going to happen again. And now, you know, he, uh, he is a co-author of one of the most famous books of all time. But that's a cold comfort. You know, it doesn't get you out of an earthquake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're talking, we're talking about these various things. We've, you know, we've gone through volcanoes and earthquakes. Well, what if, what if for one reason or another, it wasn't those things and it was just a lack of consistent rainwater for the crops that were so important at the time. What if there was a massive drought that ended up causing chaos essentially within the civilizations themselves? And, uh, you know, is that even a possibility? Well, guess what? We have good news for you. Intelligent people have been studying it. Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, there was an article in the Journal of the Institute of Archaeology of Tel Aviv University, um, where researchers led by a paleontologist, Daphna Langet, um, put forth this very theory. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Langet argues that drought led to the collapse of at least the ancient southern Levant, and that cascaded out. To the rest of the known world. Like this is, we are talking about the known world at this time. Uh, <laughs> Paleonologist is sort of a word for the word of the day for us. I, I don't know about you guys. I didn't know this was a job. It's someone who studies ancient pollens. Mm, so that's GTFO <laughs> with your modern pollens. Oh man, it remind it keeps. Oh, it, that's so specialized. I love it. Someone goes, like, when I grow up, I want to study ancient pollens. All right, I'm sorry. What? Do you want An what? Ancient pollens, <laughs> yes. Okay, no, no, uh, you can't but, do that. But please, <laughs> I really feel passionately about it, Dad. There's no way. How are you going to even find it? Get out of here. Wow. You know, you dig it up, I guess, right? But no, that's a good question, Dad. Ben, how do you find ancient pollen samples? I'm so glad you asked, budding uh, pollenologist. Uh, you know, a lot of people are going to tell you it's a weird dream. And uh, I've come to your career day to let you know that all dreams are kind of weird and there's no reason that you should knock this one out of the running. Look at all the pollen around today. It had to come from somewhere. Start digging, start reading, start digging. Uh, if you take, a, you know, I don't want to get, I don't want to get lost in the weeds here, kids, on how you actually find these things, but you can, if you dig through the layers of soil in places that had pollen-producing plants, right, on a regular basis, then you can take samples of those the same way you take samples of a tree, right, at different uh, chronicles in its own uh, dendrochronology, and then you can find what Langit calls the fingerprints of plants. Pollen grains are the fingerprints of plants. They can help scientists reconstruct 
the ancient natural vegetation, past climate conditions. So I say to you in this, in this improv scene, I say to you, go forward, start collecting all the pollen you can. And remember that one day we don't have to just think about you as a pollenologist. Now we can think about those who come after you. So save the pollen for them. You may end up being their Carl Linnaeus. You may end up being their uh, Charles Darwin. It's so interesting, though, because, I mean, these are fossils. This is part of the fossil record. They're just really, really tiny fossils. Um, and, and you're right. They act as kind of like a fingerprint uh, in the same way maybe ice cores, only <laughs> obviously much, much smaller, do for, um, you know, studying the layers of, of collected ice. And that core tells a story. And pollen does the same thing. And it's a story about past climates. Yeah. And we can paint a pretty accurate picture. Of course, the only way we can know whether it's 100% accurate is to travel back there. Uh, And unless you believe that uh, paper by that recent undergrad, there's not a way to time travel yet. That's a a story for strange news, I think. Uh, So so right now, uh, we know that there's, we know that this research shows a very specific, very sharp decline in the vegetation that up until that point, was common. The scientists led by Langet found that in 1250 BCE, the traditional plant life of the Mediterranean, the late Bronze Age, seemed to just take a nosedive, just and in its place, they saw plants that you would find in semi-desert areas. Yeah, and that was in uh, like carob trees, pine trees, oak trees, they were out there, and um, they also noticed that there was a huge drop in olive trees, you know, and that is a major thing that is being produced out there for food sources and, and uh, for other reasons. And there was an, there's an indication that horticulture in general at, in that area at the time was on the decline. Right. And really what the team came away with is that the region was in the grip of serious, regular, droughts within a a drought season that lasted for several seasons, essentially. Um, And the dates the researchers came up with via all this uh, pollen analysis that they went through, they correspond pretty darn well with the few remaining historical records that, uh, you know, scientists and humanity has of that period. And they all, a lot of those, by the way, mention shortages of grains, so, you know, it, all this, this seems to be, like Ben said, painting a pretty clear picture of no matter what was going on, this was a significant factor. Right. It's spooky to build a puzzle of this size. We're finding puzzle pieces in the 20th century that connect with puzzle pieces from 5,000, like from uh, 3,000 so years ago. Uh, that's that's a lot of work. That's one hell of a jigsaw. And the thing about these scant historical records is that they're pretty informative uh, for what they are. They're also pretty cryptic, and they don't just mention shortages of grain. We're going to pause for a word from our sponsor. And as long as our civilization doesn't collapse uh, in the next couple <laughs> minutes or so, uh, then we'll return and put some more puzzle pieces of the Bronze Age collapse together. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Attention, true crime enthusiasts. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back off air. We were having a little conversation about our earlier, uh, our earlier great question. What's the name for this age? Uh, Noel, you proposed the plastics age. We talked about information age because I, I do think information is a substance. Uh, Silicon age was the first one Matt put forth. I think that Silicon age, yeah, or computer age. Some people are calling it new media age, which all goes to show. We don't we don't know what future historians are going to call it. They might just <laughs> latch on to one thing, and they might be calling it the Furby Age. They'll yeah. be like the most technologically significant invention of these ancient benighted people uh, was our one true god, the Furby, and uh, <laughs> that'll be how we're known by our descendants on Mars and the Moon. And well, these. When, when when it ends up being the age that leads to the destruction of all civilization, maybe we could refer to it as the Idiot Age. The apocalypse mm-hmm. age? I don't know. There's, there's, just call there's, it. Just call it the last. A- <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's what it'll. Be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that old 
that old uh, that old joke. I think it was from one of the chans about uh, Candlejack. Do you guys remember that? Mm. Like you can't say his name or he disappears. Anyway, uh, it's an you okay meme. Me. Oh, you got it, me. It's an okay meme. But uh, yeah, the Zoom froze and he got me. Um, but what's so, what's so interesting about that name aside is that, you know, we have to remember uh, any fans of literature, one thing that's infuriating is that uh, uh, several, a while back, uh, some time ago, not as far back as the Bronze Age, someone got the bright idea to uh, call a certain school of literature modernism. And what do they call the next one? Postmodernism. We can't we can't name stuff like that. It's the same with music genres. It's like you got rock, then you got post rock, which mm. is basically just like minimalist rock with it's got guitars. Uh, doesn't really have many changes. <laughs> it's a lot of it's like ambient music and rock and roll had like a weird slow child uh, or, or the same with punk and post punk. What even is I guess post punk is just punk that's a little more intelligent. I, I, I don't know. It's interesting. All of those terms. You, you guys, when do you think we're going to reach the post war stage? Oh. Do you think that's going to happen? Yeah. Yeah. When humanity is uh, actually no. It'll still happen after humanity is gone because by that point, the machines and algorithms we've made will continue fighting an entirely automated war. Uh -huh. uh, but eventually, they'll need repairs. Um, and if they are successful enough at self-repairing, then if they extend past the solar system, the death of the sun won't matter. So I guess by the heat death of the universe, we'll definitely be in a post-war environment. Economy. <laughs> Economy, Yes. <laughs> The universe has ended, uh, but we fixed the economy. Uh, good news, bad news, right? Which do you mm -hmm. want first? You're right. The war is a fundamental piece of this. And that's why I really appreciate one of the things you point out there, Matt, when you said immediately, of course, some bright bulb. Uh, well, we can't say bulb. There were, there were no light bulbs. Uh, some, some bright candle uh, around that bronze discovery campfire said we could we could use this to do amazing things we could build plumbing you know we could like probably make some medical improvements or we could kill like everybody you guys <laughs> jeez keep that one on the dl keep that on the disc that's a last resort though it's got to be a last resort surely there's another way Right. And everyone's like, yeah, 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 you know, to totally. Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. Just just not uh, me, right? I mean, I'm, me. I'm good. Uh, uh, <laughs> we're we're right. cool. Okay, okay. All right. You're like, yeah, you're great, dude. You, like, put together the fire. Come on, man. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, let's just do a show with historical reenactments that we make up. Uh, we okay. pitched that one time behind the scenes, by the with way. With puppets, though. It was still great. <laughs> It was such a great idea. Uh, and no, it was it was not drunk history. Uh, it was weirder. Anyway, war. The reason we're talking about it is because it is unfortunately a very common process in human history. The fall of a status quo or a stable government for some reason, regardless of how good or uh, fair or how terrible or authoritarian that structure might be, it inevitably leads to violence, Right. It's the equivalent of removing those painted lines, those silly painted lines that we have on the interstate and highways. They actually do reduce accidents, uh, not just as a visual aid, but because they remind people of these intangible laws that we all 
obey because we feel as though they are constantly applied. And of course, they're not. It's just, in general, people tend to agree that those are good things. So now those laws are removed, and people then, just like people now, started doing doing whatever they wish when those laws were not in play, the, especially when they felt like they were fighting for their own survival. That's why the collapse of the Bronze Age is marked by what would be described as a, an upticking crime in the modern world. And that is a very diluted, milquetoast way to say it. What we're talking about is widespread pillaging, disruption of those precious international trade routes, civil unrest, Let's find, let's get that bastard, the king. He's had it coming to him, and I don't think his God is going to stop us this time. Uh, war over diminishing resources. One of the biggest mysteries here that uh, we, we may have to dedicate uh, an entire episode to is the emergence of a mysterious seafaring confederation, you could call them, known as the Sea Peoples. They're like uh, they're like Mad Max esque raiders in this scenario, or they're like um, in Waterworld. They're like the smokers. They were going to these stable, relatively stable but struggling uh, fonts of civilization, and they were just running through them. And then they, you couldn't catch them because they were back on the boats. And they were gone and on to the next city. Yeah, it becomes a pretty horrifying vision thinking about the quote sea peoples and i'll tell you why and quick shout out to the podcast fall of civilizations for an episode they did on a similar topic here about the the bronze age collapse they did a great job of explaining the the very small descriptions that exist out there for the sea peoples and it sounds weird they uh it sounds i think the way they put it on the podcast like a monster from the deep when you hear the sea peoples it sounds like what is, are those mermen is that what we're talking about are we talking about something from you know creatures from below the water that emerged and attacked these towns and pillaged them um no, we're not. I, at least I do, certainly don't think so. But there is so little evidence about what they actually did and so few descriptions that it becomes, I don't know, more of a, more of a nightmare than I guess it needs to be. Yeah, because we know there, like we, the descriptions that we find are uh, sometimes, it's terrifying, the translations are like these plaintive things from one authority to another saying, look, uh, my armies are in the capital. And that is way, way inland, right? See the, the Hittites, for example. And then uh, uh, my ships, whatever would pass from my naval force, is way over here, far to the uh, west of me. And they can't get there in time. Uh, there's an exact quote where uh, one authority says, thus the lands are prostrate to these raiders. There's no one to defend them. You know what I mean? There's not like a police force at this time that can stand up to reavers like this. And the thing is that because of the difficulties of transmitting both information and resources, uh, they would these empires would often find out after the fact that someone had destroyed uh, a trade hub or a city um, or a or a holy place, and this 
this uh, devastated the many of these empires. The Sea Peoples uh, did lose campaigns at times, but they kept coming. Uh, Ramses III, I think we mentioned, he's got some uh, he's got some inscriptions that people have recovered uh, in Thebes, and in those inscriptions in uh, Mortuary Temple, you can find sources recounting at least three different legitimate victories against the Sea Peoples. But again, that's Egypt. And one thing you need to remember about Egypt in this period is that Egypt kind of survived. There's still a country called Egypt. It's not a country called, you know, home of the Hittites. <laughs> but that, I will say that is uh, number one on my list for what they should have been called. Just like hyphenated, maybe, or maybe it all one word, call it home of the Hittites. Love it. <laughs> and I like that as one word. Yeah. So we, um, again, we can, we can say that there is a wealth of insightful and valuable literature and research into the ultimate identity of what is commonly called the Sea Peoples. The reason that everybody speaking English and French definitely has been using this phrase for so long is that it comes from a French Egyptologist named Emmanuel de Roge, who, uh, who kind of coined the term. And then someone else popularized it and it started circulating in the canon because it answered a question a lot of scientists in unrelated fields had had for a long, long time. Uh, they're also the explanation they're one of the main explanations for that common disaster soil, I guess we could call it, disaster sediment, right? The, the one groove of the historical record that is FUBAR yeah. as the acronym. Well, that, that showed clearly there was a massive fire here and bodies were just in streets and, you know, in, in houses in that same time. It's really disturbing stuff. So so we've kind of been looking at these things individually as as causes, right? But as we know just throughout history, uh just because you're dealing with one disaster, one bad thing doesn't mean another one can't come up, right? We're dealing with that right now. We've got a we've got three handfuls at least of disasters that are hitting the globe right now. And why would it be any different during the Bronze Age, right? Yeah, because we've been uh, we've been perhaps a little uh, <laughs> uh, uh, a little misleading when we're when we're presenting these problems. We said natural disasters like ongoing droughts, like earthquakes, like volcanoes, uh, human problems like war, or the fact that humans are uh, often just inherently greedy, bad people, or or you just uh, what. Um, unrest within cities. Right. Right. Yeah. And competing for things. Right. Why should, why should my children die such that yours can live? You know, that's not an even trade to me, says the other person with kids. Uh, so each of these explanations alone taken by their themselves in a vacuum, they've all happened before, right? A lot of them are happening now, as you said, Matt, in the modern age. Uh, but these often were these were happening in the Bronze Age, but they weren't all happening at once because these all happened and these cultures, the world's first stable long-term international trade network, survived. It weathered every storm. But experts are arguing 
Ming is very clever, that what happened is humanity met a storm it had never seen before. It met a perfect storm. It met an insidious geopolitical domino effect that probably, yes, began with the natural world. I think we can determine that. But but when we see it, it's got spooky parallels, right? So climate change, whether it's an eruption, whether it's something abrupt like a natural disaster, an eruption, whether it's a slow cycle that maybe has nothing to do with humans, it leads to political instability that leads to a rise in crime. I mean, that's why the historian Robert Drews calls this the late Bronze Age collapse. He calls it the worst disaster in ancient history, more calamitous than the collapse of the Western Roman Empire. And people are saying, like, these sea peoples didn't just, you know, wake up and say, yeah, you know, I, I know we usually fish, but what if we just sacked, what if we just sacked Urgut or something like that? What if we, guys, guys, what if we get into pillaging, like in a big way? <laughs> and the other people it's on the like, boat didn't look around and just go, dope, yeah. Or maybe they did. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to start a gang. It's called the Sea Boys. And we're going <laughs> to... Sorry, does that sound I, familiar no, to no, anyone? Well, dude, I was just going to put forth, why can't we just simplify and just call them the Sea People? You know, the people from the sea. I just, I think that's just a little more straightforward. The idea of the sea peoples just makes it seem too, too academic. Let's, let's, let's have some fun with it. But you're making a, <laughs> yeah, yes, you're making a great point, Ben. It, they didn't just decide to do it. It was because they were facing some kind of issue, likely from the natural world, like you're saying, like a drought, unable to feed their families, un- and they had to go and find something. And when they couldn't trade or they couldn't find a viable way to do it peacefully. The only option then was to take by force, or at least perhaps it was thought that the only option was to take what they needed by force. Again, the parallels freaking me out a little bit. Exactly. I mean, think about it. So uh, this, the positive domino effect we mentioned earlier, right? Stable populations are creating more food, right? And so those, they... They don't naturally want to go out into the wild. And I would hope if people are, people are creatures of convenience and necessity, right? So it's, it's relatively anomalous for a group to just, to, to, to just decide to kill people for fun rather than to kill them for resources or something like that. So these stable populations during the heyday of the Bronze Age, they are dependent on producing food or importing food for their own consumption and then possibly exporting it across trade networks for other things they can't get. And so when they can't grow crops, they cannot participate in that trade network. And most importantly, they cannot feed themselves. That's the whole reason they're living in this area, right? So they have to look for some other means of sustenance But the problem is, unless they're the very first people who became these migrants and refugees, other people have already hit the road. Other people have been down these tracks before, been down this road before, if you're a Hank Williams senior fan. And they have done the same. And they already knew about these pre-existing trade routes. They already knew where the ports were. They already knew where the cities were. The people who were already pushed into a nomadic existence are therefore either laying wait in established migration routes and waiting to pounce on merchants and families and refugees, or 
they hopped in their boats, perhaps driven by necessity, and decided to uh, that they instead of waiting for something to be given to them, they would take it by any means necessary. And morality doesn't really enter the equation when you're talking about survival. And then think about it on a worldwide scale. Now we think about cities and empires as individuals, right? We know that city-states don't really have friends. Empires don't really have friends. They have alliances. So these entire, uh, these entire groups of people are shifting into militarism. They're already probably pretty militaristic, but, but they're protecting their own defenses, right? Their upper classes and their mid-tiers uh, from pillagers, and they're also trying to send out their military forces to wage wars, wars of acquisition of other resources, perhaps, wars of protection against these mysterious sea peoples who keep getting away. And it happens. This is the scariest part. It happens very, very quickly. You know what I mean? Uh, these longstanding treaties are thrown away. Egypt retreats into itself, right? Because it needs to, it needs to tamp down domestic unrest. You have to fix your own house before you fix someone else's. Just, just think about what we're saying and describing here. Just overlay it onto the like <laughs> 21st <Google map>. century. <laughs> start start in the late 90s and just like, oh, God. Uh, it was, during this time, someone figured out how to make iron. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and guess what? Guess what? The military has, they've just come out. They've, they're saying that they think fusion is definitely going to be a thing now. They're like just talking about it openly. Yeah, fusion, you know, for power. Fusion for power. It's only going to be for power. It's going to be fine. Are you serious? Yeah. 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 Oh, man. I missed this. Uh, oh, it's all good. It's, uh, it's the first round of fusion bombs. We just got to wait for that. That's that's somebody making the first iron and going, hey, oh. <laughs> those, are, those are fusion bombs for peace. <laughs> But then who gets them? Who, who gets them? You know, like who gets the fusion bombs? We got you know, I, I don't know. It's the same with like these weapons. You know, it's all about who who figured it out first. And then mm. you know, people backwards engineer things. I'm sure both sides of these uh, these conflicts had similar weapons, but maybe the upper hand goes to the ones that figured it out a little better. I don't know. It's, it, it's yeah, and then they get all the oil, and mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it lasts until it all burns out, and. And there we go. Rinse then the and sun repeat. comes. Then the sun <laughs> Rinse comes next. And repeat. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. And this is uh there this is the the spookiest part of this story. Now, if we want to give it a little bit of an epilogue, yes, the area entered the dark age. You know, the closest thing we had to global civilization full stop collapsed. Uh, and you know, Noel, you raised the point earlier about the the collapse in education, literacy bottomed out, right? Who has time to learn to read? I am trying to avoid these uh, pillagers and possible cannibals. I just threw cannibals in there. And now it's who has time to read. I'm being distracted by these cat videos. You know, I mean, I was joking at the top of the show about this maybe being the new dark. I don't know. It makes me think of that movie Idiocracy, which is all about a a breakdown in education, a breakdown in intelligence leading to a breakdown in civilization and society as we know it, because people can't solve problems anymore. People don't think about how to fix these, you know, existential threats that face them. Uh, And that's when the really hits the fan. And this is our denouement, right? This is our epilogue. Eventually, the seasonal rains return, and experts believe that this 
eventually, again, led the descendants of some of those uprooted groups we talked about uh, to settle down once again. But make no mistake, history was forever and permanently stunted by this collapse. We have no idea where the world would be if this had not occurred, right? Like part of the reason we are making this podcast now, part of the reason podcasts exist is because thousands of years ago, the world as we knew it burned the f*** down. Like, that's true. And most importantly, we can't mistake this from some, for some like long ago story from some dusty tome, or I guess some dusty time before books, some dusty tablet or hieroglyph. We, we should, and I think we must take this as a parable It's a warning about the fragility inherent to all human civilizations. Civilization is a covenant. It is an agreement. And it only works so long as the majority of people agree that it works. Otherwise, it's just like a thing we thought was a good idea at the time. Like, uh, you know, Police Academy 4. Is, is any, has anyone been watching the new season of Fargo? It just started <laughs> oh. the other night. Uh, oh, no, I can't wait. Well, I, I'm gonna, this isn't really a spoiler, but it's sort of about warring groups, warring factions, and they have this ritual and this agreement where they essentially, one faction, whether it's the Italians and the Irish or African-American gang comes in in the present day of the show, which is like the 50s uh, versus the uh, Italians. And they have this ritual where in order to kind of make peace, quote unquote, they exchange uh, a youngest child and and each of them raise the other's youngest child. And again, there's ritual involved in that. And it's an inherent like agreement and a compact. But, you know, people don't always uh, hold up their end of the bargain. And and otherwise, if they did, you wouldn't have a show. Um <laughs> It's the same with history. You know, people often, you know, make these agreements and then decide, you know what, actually, I think we're just going to kill all of you. And to this, uh, like what we're talking about when we talk about this dissolution of society is uh, we're proposing essentially what's what's called a, a general systems collapse. The argument is that we made so much progress as a species during the Bronze Age that we built a system that was too intricate to fix like we didn't know how to fix it when parts of it started breaking if it was if it was disrupted then we didn't have anybody with the vantage point to say uh okay look what we need to do is to first off maintain the trade routes let's let's do that everybody was panicking because the building was on fire and we had built everything except for a fire escape basically sociopolitically and so Now we see that the things that happened and the order in which they occurred, they exposed existing flaws in the system. The reason that is important is because it can happen again, right? Uh, One of the questions that I I think we'd have to ask is, do you think experts are missing another explanation for the bizarre story of the late Bronze Age collapse, this weird murder mystery of a civilization and, and what do you think we can learn about it in the modern day like what what can we do we are the easy argument that a lot of people would make is that we are somehow better armed because we have vastly uh more sophisticated information uh technology and dissemination but how much of an advantage is that really like to your point about cat videos Noel, 
Uh, how much uh, does knowing does the potential of knowing almost everything mean that it will be applied in a useful way? I think nope. that's a logical <laughs> misstep that we're making. Yeah, you know? oh, it absolutely is. I think we've seen that too much information leads people to silo their education and 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 use do what only seek out what only suits them, as opposed to you know because you had you used to have to work for knowledge, you used to have to work for you know this access to it was a very exclusive thing, and now everyone has it and nobody appreciates it. <laughs> <laughs> So what do you guys think is, uh, is the safest way to ensure your family's survival in uh, any coming disaster or collapse of our society uh, is, is the safest way to become a nuclear fusion engineer? Maybe. Or just play, play the video game super liminal. Like right now, everybody go play the video game super liminal and start thinking the way that game forces you to think. And then I think we'll all get to a place where we can solve any problem that's okay. ever presented to us. I haven't heard of Superliminal. Well, if you haven't heard of it, I'm not, I'm not getting paid to tell you this, but you should play it for sure. <laughs> it is a puzzle game, and yes. it's, it's, it forces you to change your perspective literally and figuratively, which is right, why like I think it, that, it's important and that. could be a, yeah, that's why it could be applied here because, you know, to, to find find answers to some of these major problems that we face as in you know a global civilization right now we just have to think about things differently and it's very difficult for humans to do that and what are your coping mechanisms folks what are your heuristics for uh what has sometimes been called the end of history i think we'll i think we'll soldier on because i have to uh, but uh, but let it, let us know. What do you think we can learn from the Bronze Age collapse? Do you think something like this could slash would happen now? And if so, how would it play out? We would love to hear from you. You can find us on the internet as long as that thing is still around. Hopefully, uh, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. Uh, we recommend here's where it gets crazy. Uh, just join up by saying uh, typing in Noel's name or Matt's name. Super producer code name Doc Holiday or Super producer Mission Control. My name, drop me a pun, something that makes me laugh, um, or just you know, in a witty way, illustrates the uh, darkness of civilization. Yeah, and, and in the event that we do have some sort of like escape from LA esque situation where you know the internet disappears and all electronics uh, disappear, well, this wouldn't really work. Um, I th never mind, forget it. It'll said work that. with a landline. Well, okay, there you go. That's what I was getting at, Ben. Thank you for rescuing me. Uh, you can <laughs> give us a call on a landline, uh, presuming that that infrastructure hasn't been. This is too depressing. One eight three three S T D W I T K is that number. Um, reach out to us. You can leave us a voicemail. Well, that part won't never. Uh, okay. Yeah, the voicemail won't work in that situation. <laughs> but you know what? This is all just we're just spitballing here. <laughs> Everything's fine for now. Leave us a voicemail. Keep it uh, roughly around three minutes so that we can have a nice, concise story we can use on one of our weekly listener mail episodes. And be sure and let us know if it's okay to use your story and play your actual voice uh, on the show. And if you want us to call you something specific or not use your name or, or be anonymous, we're all about that. Um, love to hear from you. And if you happen to enjoy looking at faces while you hear voices talk to you, you can head over to youtube.com slash conspiracy stuff. Don't look at Ben's face right now if you're if you're Definitely hearing this. Not. Don't. Oh, oh, it haunts God, me. God, why do I get that all the time? It was that specific face. 
yeah, but YouTube YouTube slash conspiracy stuff. That's our channel. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Uh, we're going to be putting these up there. These conversations, and there will be other things on the way to you as soon as we can get them to you. Just be prepared. And if none of that quite uh, bags your badgers or collapses your Bronze Age, uh, as long as the uh, as long as the electricity is moving and the great Skynet in the sky stays there, you can always contact us through our good old-fashioned email address where we are. Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.